International Ska News Podcast. Hey there, rude boys, girls, and anyone on or off the infinite gender spectrum. Welcome to a special preview slash teaser for the International Sky News podcast. This podcast is a humorous look at important political concepts, events, theories, people, and anything else we might have an interest in. But know that for most people, reading about them to any extent more than the text in a meme might be a daunting proposition. The podcast will be hosted by myself, Beaner, aka Pick It Up Pablo, and Keith Tutone Tano Pulitano. And with us as regularly as he can, now that he is soon to be a father, is Turtlebug, aka our rude boy roving reporter. Why is this episode so special? Well, this is going to be a weird format. I wrote a 2020 year in review for my Patreon, and I realized I wanted to hear Tano and Turtle's takes on 2020 and what it meant for them. Additionally, I had a handful of people tell me that they find hard to sit down and read the stuff, but they would love to listen to or watch it on YouTube. So, I suggested that they each write and record their own. We could all listen to each other's, and then we could record a freeform discussion afterwards with our impressions of how the others saw things in this past hell year that we cannot be out of and done with soon enough. It seemed like a good way to introduce the world to who we are and how we see things, and maybe it would function as a little bit of a therapy session for all the trauma 2020 put us through, without the expensive as fuck price tag. Enjoy! Yo, yo, it's Taj, the artist formerly known as Turtlebug, with my 2020 year-end review. Shout out to Berlin Beaner and the Italian stallion, Keith. What's up, everybody? My name is Keith Politano. Many people also know me as Tano. Just before I start this, I want to say that I am outside, so you might hear outside sounds, and I just woke up. Hey, welcome to the preview for the future International Ska News podcast. Uh, my name is Beaner. My uh, pronouns are Borg and Continuum, aka gender non-binary. So 2020 Patreon year in review versus the 2020 apocalyptic review world on fire. Before I launch into this exceedingly dark and tragically terrible review of 2020, I want to first say that I'm very thankful to all of the people who became patrons to this weird experiment that I'm still trying to figure out or that we are trying to figure out together. Uh, Thank you. I love you all. And uh, you are very much appreciated. I'm tickled pink that people would put their hard-earned money towards my various branches of interest to the ranting intellectual or political or critical content to you motivating me to complete all this lost languishing music uh, should be 199 songs by the end of this year um, in just in just one year. 
This is the takeoff of a garage-built dangerous pulse jet engine version of a memoir. Wow! Uh, to learning and teaching about natural or low-intervention wine as a step to someday hopefully making it. And to more collaboration with friends and colleagues and uh, everyone who I consider equals. And eventually, and this is the start of it, yes, there really will be three podcasts, I promise. <laughs> so now, on to the show. As this coffee kicks in, it might get better, it might get worse, I don't know. I am 30 years old, but it'll be 31 in a week, January 7th, so maybe by the time you hear this. I live in Brooklyn. I lived in Brooklyn for the last eight or so years. I grew up on Long Island. That's why I sound like this. I say all those words you want to hear. Dog, coffee, talk, etc. I make music, DJ, you know, dance music type shit. But uh, I've been the union painter for around seven, eight years. I've been painting for the last 15. That's what's and paying my bills um, with odd jobs here and there. So 2020 was supposed to be uh, a good year in the beginning, I guess. Just had my agent figure out my first official tour that I was going to be on. Was lining up stuff. Things were looking cool. Normal, but cool. You know, the coronavirus stuff. Yeah! was starting to bubble up. We're talking, you know, January, February here. No one was paying attention in the way we should have, as we all know. I was in Berlin playing P-Bar when the governments around the world were just starting to shut down and shut their borders. Of course, my tour got cut, yada, yada. But everyone's tours got cut. Got, had to come home in a panic. It was in that panic, canceling tickets and finding what I wanted to do, where I needed to go, that I saw how fucked we were all about to be. Mind you, I was coming from Europe, flying into New York City, and the only thing that they were asking people, we're talking like March, Whenever Trump was closing the borders is when I, like the day after, the day of is when I got back. And they were just asking people if they had been to China or Iran. That's all they were asking as people were entering the country. And that's when I knew that we were really in for it because obviously no one was prepared. This year was whatever. I had a couple personal accomplishments um, due to COVID. Uh, I, w I didn't, I haven't worked in months. So I actually got to finish music. It took me 10 years to do that. And this has given me the chance because the United States and New York unemployment um, was okay for a bit. Uh, Finished music, put out an EP. People seemed to like it. That was cool. So I'm gonna try that again. Outstanding. But other than that, you know, 
You already know how the year went. You were there, I think. Let's move on to the 2010 year in review. Oh, no, wait. That's 10 years ago. Well, let's start there. 10 years ago, I turned 30. A lot of people take this as a big milestone, the first true step into a full adulthood. Well, my Peter Pan syndrome had been working out at the gym overtime, so there was no way that 30 was going to beat my arrested development into submission. I whooped that adulthood right in the keister, and then I giggled. I love to play. In fact, I abhor work. Uh, it is in so many ways stupid, damaging, and unnecessary. Uh, productivity fetishism is probably one of the worst things that we have in our society. Uh, and I'm not so really great at planning long into the future. My mental health issues are partially neurobiological and chemical, but they're also partially bad adolescent coping mechanisms that are terrible for me now. I, I'm a teenage dirtbag, baby. Anyway, I was having fun 10 years ago. I love turning 30. I told everyone who would listen that everything was better after 30. I was sure that the only direction was up. And uh, I mean, I've never minded getting older, but in this case, I was downright excited. But who could blame me? Uh, in January of 2010, I had a 30th birthday party uh, that drew over 700 people uh, at our arena club. All my good friends played with me. Uh, my friend Jake, who, who was one of the DJs, drew a picture of me DJing for so long that I turned into a skeleton with a beard. He also figured out that all of the people booked spelled out DJ Beard. So there was the flyer right there. Um, I was able to pay all of my friends fairly. They all had infinite drink tokens. No guest list from me personally, but unlimited guest list for everyone else. And I was even able to pay extra to the artists that stayed until the end because I knew that we had made ridiculous amounts of money. In that year, I even got to play in something like six or seven countries. It was a it was a, a big and new feeling for me being successful. Um, I was having fun, like I said. I signed and released a conceptual mini album on Thema based on my favorite contemporary writer. I spilled out an hour of 100% new music at 100 BPM. That's that process series that uh, we were talking about before. I slapped together a song about not being able to get the fuck out of bar 25 when it was over and it's time to go home. And it was supposed to be the last record ever on the label, though they ended up changing their minds. Uh, I did eight remixes, one of which was slated to be on the same re record as DJ Kotza, although that didn't happen because his management wanted two of his remixes on it. So I was on the digital bonus. But again, I was having fun. I had a great girlfriend. I had wonderful, loving, wild friends who were equally obsessed with the blowout orgy of festivity and carousing that Berlin had offer on, uh, on offer every day. Life was busy, not demanding, or oppressive. And that's the difference between fun and work. The music business, in quotation marks, was thankfully not a job, but more like a free workshop on clowning with a spotlight on assorted cream-based pie throwing. Fun, fun, fun. Um, but I'm not telling you this to self-aggrandize or talk about how things were better then, but to compare to how 2020, that was some other shit. That was not fun. My uncle was in the hospital when this started, and 
first, I mean, he, he was older, had some health problems, but he had fell and he had like broken some bones or something. It was nothing too serious. But all of a sudden he took a turn for the worst and just died from respiratory issues. And it was so, it was so at a time when people weren't even testing like that, that we can't confirm that it was coronavirus, but it probably was because there's just no real explanation about why he just took such a drastic turn. So that was the beginning of it, you know. Also, had another death in the family, my little cousin, but that was just on some accident stuff, nothing related to COVID or anything, but that also was really rough on the family. So it's just been a hellish year all around. Not fun, no, 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 not fun shit. I turned 40, thankfully, house-sitting for a friend who was stuck in the U.S. I had just gotten out of the booby hatch. The hospital loony bin, while not helpful in a psychotherapy way, was a pleasant respite and gave me an opportunity to spend some time personally on my own things, even if I wasn't having therapists who were helping me with it. Um, it also was a break from sleeping on the floor of my studio while my subletters were running up a 2,000 euro damage bill of my apartment and possessions. Um, a close friend who I went to elementary, middle, and high school with had a month before died of an accidental overdose. The job center didn't want to give me money for food and lodging. My on and off romantic partner was uncommunicative, passive aggressively trying to push me out of her life despite constantly telling me she wanted to possibly move to Berlin and live with me. I went weeks at a time without seeing friends. My acid reflux was coming back. Out of the hundreds of friends that I made over 16 years of living in Berlin, not a single one would come with me to Tropical Island for my birthday to drink silly saccharine blue drinks, go on water slides and pretend to be teens in a simulacrum of paradise. No one. I started to develop an ulcer. I think this is what I always feared becoming an adult was like. It was coming true. Adult Mageddon. The grown apocalypse. Uh, eschatological maturation. But what I was not inspired by was the scene itself and how that reacted to it. And just how the quote-unquote techno scene and electronic music scene has been handling all this all these multiple fronts but it, it made me realize that I just put too much too much uh, I don't know not effort but given too much of myself to something that wasn't truly there. I think we all need to step back, or at least I did. I really, and once again, I don't think this would have been possible if I stayed where I was, but to step back and truly look at things objectively and how everyone was acting and how we've all been acting and we're all complicit in some ways, you know, it's a shame 
there's a lot of wasted potential and a lot of fighting and bickering and just high school mentality that still rules electronic music from the originators to the newbies and everyone in between. I'd say grounded in their identity as a means of progressiveness more than anything else. And I wasn't paying attention because I was partying and younger and just trying to get into it and enjoying the parts of dance music history that were left. But I realize now that I really got disinterested with politics as I got into dance music more. And in the beginning, I had a healthy relationship with both. And this time really made me think about how I need to focus on more important things and not get caught up in the bullshit. Because I see so many people that could offer a lot and are intelligent, good-natured, decent people in a lot of aspects of their life, but there's just so many things that are clouding people's minds and reactionary tactics that are just not productive to anything, to any kind of progress on any front. And it's been really sad to see. And then the other thing, this is not just in New York, but um, the Playgrave has been a hot topic. Like the store in the mall. Uh, and then, of course, coupled that with everything shutting down for the foreseeable future meant that I had no income as I had for the last decade or so devoted myself to quote unquote the scene and DJing records and labels and parties. Like many others, I had no real safety net bottomed out. Government was fucking around. It was chaos. No one could get their unemployment right. They didn't even know if they were gonna get unemployment. So, you know, Kelsey and I here in Detroit, we started doing Instacart because there it wasn't really looking like there was anything to do. And obviously the government wasn't gonna help anybody, so we just took advantage of like gig economy bullshit that is all that there is to offer. And that kept us afloat for a little bit and I had people donate to me, which was really cool, but this was early on before everyone else got fucked. Like just out of sympathy. The first time I'd ever done anything like that. And that was cool. First time I'd like asked for anything online so publicly and personal people had given because just the things going on with my uncle and then not being able to go to the funeral and just having no safety net or no financial stability. So 
it was tough, as it was tough for a lot of people. And let me tell you, I'm not adverse to work. I think the idea of labor in America is a joke. And, you know, the social ladder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps is bullshit. But Instacart and this gig economy shit is really not where it's at. It's brutal. There's no accountability for anyone. You're really, it's, you know, you're hoping for the generosity of people to add on a nice tip. And there were people from time to time that tipped well, but, you know, we're out there shopping and for stupid snacks and root beer for people while they stay inside. You're delivering to mansions with Trump signs in the suburbs of Michigan outside of Detroit. It just sucks. It's not cool. But you got to do what you got to do, right? Eventually, we did sort out some unemployment, and that was, you know, and that's really helped, but it's not enough. And honestly, we're lucky that we made the move from Brooklyn to Detroit because this year would not have been possible just to survive, honestly. I don't know what would have happened if we were back home. But it's been tough all around. And, you know, that was just the corona side of things. Then we found out it wasn't just me. It turns out 2020 was very much not fun for each and every one of us living through it. Except, of course, billionaires and multi-multi-millionaires who just got richer and were able to use 2020's never-ending cascade of diarrheal avalanches to enrich themselves further on our backs while they lived luxuriously in total safety, isolated from us pores. It was anti-fun. Is that what it was? I mean, what is it? Yes, we're in a pandemic. They might become more common, in fact, in the future. No one wants to go through all the absurd, implausible, but we know now not impossible, grandiose amount of terrible things that befell all the world's population in 2020. We cannot turn a blind eye, though. The only way out is to confront the system that allows these things. We're still in the midst of a global pandemic. The second wave was, as predicted, much worse than the first. Instead of using the plans put into place to deal with this exact situation before it happened, those programs were either defunded or stopped in the US and UK. And often the problems were exacerbated by many of the world's most powerful governments and leaders refusing to do anything that could have helped reduce the effects. A worldwide global viral outbreak was handled mostly by rich ruling class career politicians whose only goals were to redistribute wealth to themselves and their ilk using the relief system and pump money into the stock market, which is basically just a gambling game that does not feed the starving. While they actively spreading misinformation and taking actions that caused infections to exponentially rise, they lied about the seriousness of the virus. And since then, it's come to light that they actually wanted more people to get infected because even though this will never be publicly stated, this was active and is active mass murder. 
the class war is going on and it is being waged on you by the people in charge of your health. The stewards of capital use the power of their station to thin the herd. They accumulate more power, more capital, tightening their grip on the commons and on power as it stands. Billionaires added up to the last time that I checked 931 billion to their net worth so far during the coronavirus. Guillotines, anyone? There's been over 75 million people infected. Nearly 2 million people have died. The USA has more deaths every day than either 9-11 or Pearl Harbor, and sometimes both combined. Governments refuse to stop rents and mortgages, thereby throwing hundreds of thousands of people out on the street right as winter begins. Unemployment continues to rise and more people fall into poverty and hunger. The poor are dying at much, much higher rates than their rich counterparts. Black people are dying at much, much higher rates than their white counterparts. We are so exhausted by wave after wave of horrific, horrific decisions and actions and news to the point that we can only focus on the stupid things. Like the U.S. president suggested that we could fix it by injecting people with bleach. The good news? Well, there are approved emergency vaccines that are at this moment being rolled out. The truth is that even that is also somewhat dark. Who gets what medical treatments and when is going to be a long, hard, and terrible road. Like maybe you remember early in the pandemic when tens of thousands of poor laborers in India were put out of work with no warning at the first lockdown and had to walk hundreds of miles to their home villages with no food, water, or pay. This is going to be similar to how people are treated. People die because of the differences in how the global south gets treated or not treated and how resources are allocated or distributed, even in the first world. The problem is not one of a lack of material, but of the supposed logistics of who is going to pay. The economy, they say, it needs a back rub. I thought this was going to be the year of Bernie Sanders. It really just made so much sense. Uh, I would... I am and was a big Bernie supporter. Um, again, I, I don't align with, I mean, I don't subscribe to whatever uh, theory shit. So like, yeah, he might not be X and he might not be Z, but I tend to be a bit of a naive optimist and also, he was the best thing for this country that we've seen in the last probably forever. And it, he will be the best option we've seen for the foreseeable future. Um, I truly thought that he was unstoppable because he was. And then um, we all know what happened. Uh, the entire Democratic Party conspired against him, as they do. Um, when he dropped out of the presidential race is when I kind of checked out mentally. This past year, well, in 2019, I finally started hearing people in the trades 
talk about Bernie Sanders as a viable candidate. And, you know, unions are very much intertwined with leftist movements, or they were, with the members and even the um, heads of these labor unions, especially New York City, have no connection to any of that. The majority of tradespeople uh, over the last four years have become Trump people. It is bizarre, and it is like, what do you like to vote against your interests? But, I mean, the reality is their other option was Democrats, and, um, you know, they also don't give a shit. So, but this year, or whatever year, last year, 2019, time isn't real, I can't even remember. Um, I heard people speaking about Bernie Sanders in a positive light. Um, one of the things that was bothered me was um, when Bernie went on Joe Rogan's podcast and um, the libs decided that uh, that was a problem and started attacking Bernie and Joe Rogan and the whole thing. And uh, it was a massive, massive... Well, you know what? It probably... It was on purpose. It did... uh, They were fighting against Bernie. They were not fighting against Donald Trump. But it worked. I realized that I had gotten so apolitical and almost nihilist in a way because my entry into dance music and everything else really came at the time of Barack Obama's presidency and I had been a baby socialist since I was an early teenager not too serious but reading stuff and understanding that the US government and the power structures that be were not where it was at and this slow change wasn't really going to do anything but like most black people and most black men I put a lot of hope into the Obama presidencies I voted twice blindly and the first time I was young I was actually 18 so it was the first time I could vote 17 18 yeah yeah 18 and I was just so excited to vote for a black person for president, which was mind boggling. Like it, it's hard for, as someone who is so anti-Obama and full esta- and anti-establishment now, it's hard to express the joys of the black community as just a whole in the seeing a black president. So first, you know, first election vote, presidency goes like, eh, this isn't looking too, too good. Occupy Wall Street, bailing out the banks, it sucks. But you do it again, and I was like, okay, no. Second term, he's going to do something. He's going to show him because, you know, he had to chill out the first term. You know, it couldn't couldn't scare all the white people, couldn't 
scare the United States, can't change everything overnight. But the second term was even more depressing than the first. And, you know, you, we, you can look up and if you, you know, we lived through it, it wasn't that great. You can see what we're, we're living in the, we're living in the world that Obama gave us and it's not pretty. The hope and change didn't come. It, it was bullshit. And this, this time of, uh, hope and change was coinciding with me getting into dance music. And, you know, people aren't as politically aware in the community as they like to think they are. It really turned a lot of people off to what they think the left is. Um, a lot of people think the left is um, online and it's, it's strictly based on identity politics and, uh, and um, sorry, my brain is fried. I should have drank more coffee. WHY DOES THIS KEEP HAPPENING TO ME?! Um, identity politics and political correctness and bathroom bullshit, you know, and nothing to do with, um, economic theory or workers or, um, anything that it truly is based on class. Uh, so it turned a lot of those people off to Bernie Sanders, and it's a shame that there was a moment that could have been used to truly start building um, coalition-type shit that everyone posts about. Um, but because those people are not in the labor force in in the trades they have no idea how to do it they romant people seem to like romanticize the, the trades people um like they've never met any and they don't know how to speak to them and uh giant missed opportunity yeah i also realized i mean early on in when i joined the union that uh they do not want us to have universal health care because if we have universal Medicare for all, whatever, um, then they're, these unions are pretty much useless and worthless because they've lost our pension. We have not gotten a significant raise in, since I've joined and from what I've been told, uh, like 30 years as non-union work becomes more and more prevalent in New York City, in Manhattan, which is absolutely insane, these multi-billion dollar buildings being built by non-union labor, um, the union members are, uh, they're losing faith in the union. And um, I brought this up once at a meeting when I was 
around 23 or 4. No, it must have been 25 when Bernie Sanders first, uh, this is five years ago, when he first ran for president. And I asked, why are we not supporting the union guy? Why are we supporting um, Hillary Clinton? Which I already knew that for multiple reasons, a lot of it also being misogyny, but I mean, Hillary Clinton sucked and none of the members were going to vote for her anyway. And that's when you turned people that were Democrats by default, who didn't really care about politics, into conservatives. Now, because I have not worked, I will lose my health care that's tied to the union and employment. So that's cool. So I've been reading a lot more and getting back into politics and anarchist and communist theory because that's where it's at you know this this system is bullshit if you didn't know and we'll be talking about that much more in the coming year another thing about me is that I don't read anything involving theory or uh, I don't, honestly, I don't like to read, but unless it's maybe a book about something I like, or it's poems, or it's a biography, but I don't really give a shit about political theory, um, it's probably fine. I probably agree with a lot of it. I align myself with leftists and leftist thinking, but... I really don't care what type of like niche in general you label yourself after who cares. Um, it's like extremely online stuff. Pablo and Turtle, they're cool. They like that stuff. It's just, it's not for me. Um, now, that was not the only major issue in 2020. There's another one which is very near and dear to my heart. All cops are bastards. Fight for black lives and fuck the police. The other made thread that ran through 2020 is one that contains within it a tiny sliver of hope for true change. Hope only, but so far little to no results. The continued murder of black people by the carceral system, whether police in the streets or guards in prisons or the virus even in the prisons, Federal agencies summarily executing, assassinating a demonstrator in his car to the glee of a sitting president. Kidnappings by unmarked vehicles over and over demonstrations against the militarized violence of civilian police agencies is met with increased violence against the populace. Police face no legal consequences for murder or for this violence. Police are armed as though on a foreign battlefield, even though they're not even trained as soldiers. They're taxpayer-funded gang of violent criminals whose only concern is the subjugation of the populace they are ostensibly there to protect, while actually only defending private property and the power of capital. There is no private property without violence. The enforcement of this particular social relation is the only purpose of a police force. Police do not prevent crime. They often cause it, or invent it even. Um... I will cover 
policing, prisons, the carceral state, abolition, and more in depth in a future newsletter and in future probably multiple podcasts. But for now, um, let's focus on the one reason that the uprisings that continue all are all around the United States and in many other countries around the world could give us hope for true revolutionary change. Then, of course, the protests happen, uh, the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor uprisings, as I prefer to call them, as opposed to the Black Lives Matter protests. You know, I have feelings about Black Lives Matter as a concept and a organization, but that's not something that we need to discuss now. But the uprisings due to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor really sparked something in me. And those first few days when shit was popping off and people were burning cars, there was a glimmer of hope that I had never really felt or thought before. To see people want change and really stand up because of all this pent-up oppression and just negligence of the powers of structures showed that there were like-minded people or that people weren't fully succumbed to their, you know, destinies as just a cog in the wheel and another step for a billionaire or any kind of social social structure that just doesn't give a fuck. You know, people finally woke up for a little bit in a ways that they hadn't in a long time. You know, people talk about how these are the largest demonstrations in human history that this sparked off, you know, not just U.S. history, but around the world. And although it was for terrible reasons and the brutality of the state and proto-fascism came down, it kind of inspired me in a way. Also this year, where the protest post uh, George Floyd being murdered by the police um, in New York City, I mean, and around the world, but New York was massive. And um, I don't know if you can hear the roosters. Uh, they're annoying. That's why I'm up. Yeah, the the protests in New York. They um, the New York was primed and ready. I mean, the city has been at war <clears throat> with the NYPD um, for a very long time. I mean, people were primed, and it was like a powder keg. And uh, instead of the NYPD backtracking and being like hey no look like we're with you guys like we messed up um we're gonna look into this and blah 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 they uh decided to gear up and start attacking protesters uh there's a video from the first night and it was near Barclays Center and uh you see a bunch of red cheeked um, tough guys walking through 
protesters, and someone squirted one of the police, one of the red cheeks, rosy red cheeks, with a bottle of water, and then all hell broke loose. And that kicked off what seemed like the rest of the summer of uh, New York City versus the NYPD. Um, it got brutal. Uh, they fought back. Um, they they implemented a uh, well, I guess it was De Blasio, our mayor, implemented a curfew um, at eight p.m. in the middle of the summer. So anyone that was outside after eight uh, was a criminal, and the police used that to their advantage. Definitely. Um, even at uh, the park in Williamsburg, McCarran Park, had silent vigils that were mostly for, like, they started off nice and it was for people that couldn't march and just wanted to maybe bring their kids or something and not have to deal with the high stress of... Uh, marching through the streets uh, on a hot day in New York. It's a lot for people. I get it. Um, But it became like this weird performative white rich person thing. Like, I mean, those same people uh, gathered together when I was calling George Biden. When Joe Biden and um, Kamala Harris won the presidential election, somehow they had like Joe Biden shirts and signs. Like, I don't even know where the hell you got that. Um, anyway. But, so yeah, it was largely a, a group of, like, rich white people towards the end. And uh, even there, the NYPD at 7.58 ran through the streets like 20 uh, squad cars and vans. Like once people left the park, it was on. It was like game on. And uh, yeah, just mass arrests. They shut down city bikes, um, Ubers, no subway, no. You couldn't get out. If you were out and around, you could not get home. Um, They funneled people onto bridges protesters so they couldn't get off made them stay there for hours shot the cannon in response to the barbaric murders of black people and others at the hands of police we have seen spontaneous uprisings we have seen organized protests we've seen rioting we've seen occupations we've seen the burning of police precincts and we have seen a level of cooperative civil disobedience and community self-defense against this violent arm of the state and capital We have seen it to an extent nonstop during a pandemic every day, not seen in the last 50 years at least. Through these uprisings, we can build and strengthen networks, relationships, radical education, skills. So many things can be brought about through these actions. Defunding the police is not a radical idea. The police are funded to do jobs they cannot and will not do. 
Every time the police threaten a city with chaos and destruction because there's no protectors when they have had their budgets even suggested to be cut, we have found time and time again that the cities have been safer when the police refuse to work. The police are overfunded. Audits regularly show that officers lie about overtime, that they use the system to get paid six-figure salaries while sexually assaulting RSDs, torturing teenagers, planting evidence, lying on reports during investigations and in court. Police are funded to buy multi-million dollar military vehicles and weapons, items that they have no use for in fighting crime, but are still allowed or even encouraged to buy and use terrorizing the population and offering murdering innocent people during raids on the wrong house or with no-knock warrants, and even cases where police invented cases to get revenge on former lovers. Police who are not trained in war still believe they are warriors. Much of what they do are considered legally war crimes under international law. Why do they have these weapons? The war on terror is why. Infinite war comes home. I truly believe that the only way we will see a change from the current world of capitalist realism, as it was described by Mark Fisher, will be the emancipation of black people. Without the dismantling of the system that was conceived, created, and executed to continue slavery in the guise of community safety, there is no chance for a world in which we are all free. This very simple idea is dawning on a larger and larger segment of the population. A camera in every pocket is showing who police are more and more. Policing is racist, sexist, and psychologically designed to create narcissistic, aggressive bullies. White people are finally waking up to the, to the fact that there's a whole segment of the world's population that has been living with an occupying army trying to kill them every day. On their own soil, in their own cities. Once enough of our society is willing to admit what has been created, we have a chance to take it apart to the very last jackboot. Confronting this institution, defending black people from it, and attacking it with society-wide refusal to accept its authority is the beginning of the end of the system of capital. We must take away the state's violent enforcers and reclaim our lives. This is the only way, as I see it, uh, forward. This fight starts with the fight for black lives. But there's some hope, like I said. I actually have hope in a way that I didn't have for a long time. And I think that if people organize and truly, truly act upon the injustices in the world, we might be able to get some shit done because this shit's not looking pretty, but it's the hand we're dealt. And if you just sit around and complain and just want shit for yourself, then you're part of the problem. And I don't want to be part of the problem, and I don't think any of us do, or at least anyone that's listening to this shit. I thought this was going to be a big moment in radicalizing people, and it was to an extent. Um, but it became, you know, business as usual as the rest of the summer progressed, and that there was no. Uh, hope 
there people put a lot into electoral politics and they just didn't have a person and um the police weren't doing anything to stop this the blasio our mayor cuomo uh the governor of new york um we had no longer had a bernie sanders to even pray for uh and it was like, okay, so millions of people protested against something, right? People thinking that it was going to be enough, and it wasn't. Um, not much happened. The one great thing that's happened this year is that I'm going to be a father in February, early February, you know. It's a crazy time to bring someone into this world. People have been struggling and living for so long. So it's great to feel like I want to create a better world. You know, it's, it's hard to explain because, you know, everything was kind of theory and, you know, what ifs and uh, questions and probabilities. But now it's like even more of a concrete. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, if you don't have children, you don't understand that that's dumb. But I guess for me personally, it's just I'm looking at things differently. Because it's not just about enjoying myself anymore or my own fulfillment. It's about building something and nurturing, building a, an environment that nurtures a person to be who they want to be. And that includes being a better person, being a better human, being a better partner, a better friend, and that's just what I'm going to focus on from now on. You know, the old world that we know is gone, and the sooner everyone realizes that, the better, because we, it's up to us. We still got time, not a lot, because shit's looking pretty crazy, but we got some time and I want shit to be better, not just for my daughter, but for everybody. And I think you should too. But hopefully, you know, I'm working on my own podcast. We're going to be doing this more often. I've been doing writing. That's cool. You know, got to do what you can. We need to do some praxis, not just theory. You know what I'm saying? Not even, not even like in an in incremental way. I mean, nothing really happened. Um, so in this shadow of collapse, it isn't as exciting as we kind of would have hoped from all of the, uh, you know, futuristic movies. 
How is 2020 ending? Well, the concerted effort of the political class on one side to destroy the foundation of their democracy. It isn't a democracy, by the way, but what they are after is certainly worse. Uh, the president is now openly trying to convince aides to participate in an overt coup that includes martial law, appointing a mentally unstable conspiracy theorist as special counsel to investigate voter fraud that he himself is the inventor of the conspiracy theory. And he wants to have the military conduct a, a, a whole new election. Uh, the military is not allowed to conduct elections, but I don't see that stopping anybody depending on how they go about it. Where did this idea come from? Well, you might have heard of General Michael Flynn. He's a convicted, retired army general. Uh, in the newsletter, I pointed to a couple um, important news stories that illustrate how um, Michael Flynn is very much behind a lot of um, conspiracy theory stuff having to do with the election. Uh, unfortunately, the U.S. news media did not really report almost at all on what Michael Flynn's actual history is. Um, Flynn was very obviously breaking many laws throughout his work as part of the Trump White House and long before it as well. He lied to the FBI about it. He was caught planning a kidnapping and an extrajudicial rendition of a Turkish cleric. Flynn never got much coverage of how batshit insane he actually is, just that he met with Russians illegally, that maybe he was doing some bribery kickbacks or some other shit. But the real story is unfortunately a lot crazier. Michael Flynn is very obviously deeply involved in the alternate reality game modeled intelligence operation that has come to be known as QAnon. Um, it didn't start out this way, but that is how it has ended up. Um, he is publicly not just supported, but kind of pushed details that are helpful to his supposed causes through and using Q. Um, sometimes even uh, saying stuff that Q was going to say before it. Um, but it's basically his bread and butter. He used to do this kind of stuff for the U.S. military. Now he's doing it as a sort of privately funded um, intelligence operation. Uh, originally, Q was kind of taken over by this couple who were basically just grifters who wanted to sell shirts. Uh, Flynn and other people who are a lot more powerful were able to put, push these people out. Those people still make a huge living um, pushing merchandise, but um, they've used the douchebag who runs uh, 8kun, which is the new version of 8chan, um, as a intelligence asset, basically, to run the whole operation and have the physical and IT control of the actual accounts. It's, it's not that hard to find this information online, and um, a lot of it has massive documentation, uh, so this isn't just like a, you know, a, a silly forum post. It's basically some John le Carré spy book shit, but with the protagonist being Islamophobic authoritarians who are into fascism light, uh, or like, uh, Weight, Weight Watchers fascism, basically. Um, the other neoliberal rich political class, aka Democrats, is just trying to ignore the rampant move towards the praxis of authoritarianism and fascistic influence while it drifts ever more rightward. 
Of course, none of them represent the populace they claim to, even though this is a supposed representative republic. These representatives couldn't even agree on giving their constituents $1,200 while they overwhelmingly gave trillions of dollars to the military-industrial complex, even coming out with a veto-proof majority so that we can all have the endless wars that we want, but we certainly cannot have enough money to buy groceries or pay our rent. How anyone can genuinely think that putting any energy into electoralism within a system like this and have it bring dividends and change to the world is incredibly naive from my point of view. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm saying the rabidness at which people expend their energy towards a form of political action that is not getting the thing that they say that they want is silly. Well, how does it end? Certainly not with a New Year's Eve party. Uh, I don't know. I do know this. The future is probably going to be just as difficult. But if the crumbling of past empires has taught us anything, it's that those who wield power refuse to believe in their decline until they are sat in ash. Our best hope is to be able to build our own separate cooperative structures. This is known as dual power while continuing to antagonize their tools of oppression and remain ungovernable, ungovernable. That's a hard word. Uh, I also think people should learn more about how to do cooperative crime. Um, and that's pretty much it. You are listening to a podcast under the La Mission Radio umbrella. You can find us and support us at patreon.com slash join Pablo. That's patreon.com, J-O-I-N-P-A-B-L-O. Early access for patrons, plus special bonus episodes, and a whole lot more as we did not start as a podcast Patreon. Come and see us.